Well, good morning. morning. Happy Thanksgiving Day to everybody joining us here on site and online. I know this is a favorite holiday for many people, especially those who consider this to be the kickoff to turkey season. It's a, it's a good time of year for those of us who enjoy turkey. I know there's different traditions around that. So I thought, well, I'm going to start with a quick survey so we can kind of know who's who here, learn a bit about each other. So where's our, where's our turkey people? We love in turkey. And then the alternatives? Not as many, but there are some. I've heard some people like to have ham. I heard the other day somebody who does a prime rib. That's not bad. That's okay. Have <laughs> some prime rib. How about this? Uh, who had lunch yesterday? Uh, somebody did. Who's having lunch tomorrow? And then who's having lunch today? If you have your hand up right now for today, keep your hand up. If you don't have a place to go for lunch right now, uh, <laughs> have a look at those around you. Okay, one last one. Who likes raisins in their stuffing? <laughs> and, and, and the rest of those like me who don't. I had to fit that in somewhere. Let's get that out of the way right at the very beginning. <laughs> so good. We're glad to have you with us. Another tradition that a lot of people have, they gather around the Thanksgiving Day table and they ask each other, what are you thankful for this year? Some, that's, some people love that. Some people hate that. I'm going to ask our online audience, actually, those who are joining us online right now, to take a second right now and type in the chat what you are thankful for, a word or a phrase. And, and in just a moment, I'm actually going to read a couple of those so that we can all share in, in bringing you into the presence with us here as well. So do that right now. Take a second and just type a word or a phrase of what you are thankful for online right now. While you do that, Nadine and I talked about this briefly this past weekend. And, and there's some things that we're very thankful for. We're thankful that we have uh, a house full of kids still, even though our kids are all are on that young adult phase, uh, all but one of them lives with us. And so we've enjoyed having them in our midst and, and the gift of a granddaughter that we get to see every day. We're thankful for our family staying healthy this past year and a half. I know it's not the story for everyone, but we've been blessed to be healthy this past year and a half. We're thankful for the missions trip who went to Vernon this week and served that community. I'm thankful Andrew has a mustache now because I get to tease him all the time during the week because of that missions trip. But we're also thankful for this church that is growing. We're going to be working through some more child dedications in the next little while. Do you know we have have 10 kids to dedicate between now and Christmas and there are five more on the way. So uh, that's going to be a busy season for us coming up. That's going to be our new sermon series, Child Dedications. And uh, we're also thankful for this church where we get to serve in a, in a healthy community. So I'm just going to have a look at what we have online here. Now hopefully we've had some responses come through. Yeah, uh, turkey and no raisins. See, people are thankful for no raisins in the stuffing as well. Thankful for my wife, Zach. Well done. Yes. Well done, Zach. I'm thankful for my wife, he says. Family, church family, health, weather. Yeah, a beautiful time of year for the weather, the leaves changing. A little bit cooler, but it's so gorgeous right now. Oh, the fall colors and smells. Absolutely. Perhaps you can relate to some of those things, and if you're online, you can keep sharing those throughout the service here. Here on site, whatever means by which you have an opportunity to share your thankfulness, I hope you will take time to do so today. But I want to invite you to join me in a different expression of thankfulness. If you, if you would please join me, if you could just kind of maybe rise to your feet even, and we're going to read Psalm 100 together as a responsive reading. So I invite you if you just stand with me, and let's read this Psalm of Thanksgiving together. I'll read the top orange if you want to respond in the yellow. And uh, as soon as we get our slides up there, that'll help out. Nope, that's the last slide. (laughs) 
There we go. Let's read this together. Let's read this together. Shout for joy to the Lord of the earth. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Why? Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today and acknowledge that you are the author, the creator, the giver, the sustainer of everything that we have in this life. God, I pray that we would not see it as a privilege that we have, but as a responsibility. We thank you in particular for the gift of Jesus Christ who makes all the difference in every season of life. And I pray, God, that we would take what we have, return blessings to you, but then use it in service of you that others may come to know your love and your goodness as well. God, I pray that we would find the source of our thankfulness in a deep, personal, convicting relationship with you as we understand your exceeding goodness, your enduring love, and your faithfulness to us in all seasons. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Yeah, and as a special note, that doesn't count against my sermon time while I'm up here. So. <laughs> Well, we're going to continue today. This psalm that we just read, Psalm 100, it's a call to focus us upon the power of God's presence more than upon human experiences. Whether they be times of hope and joy, or they be times of fear and trembling, and there's a constant that happens. In the story we're going to follow in Moses and the life of Israel today, we're going to see that there are the highs of hope and there are the depths of suffering, but through it all, God is sovereign. And God's plan is at work for his people. And in the end, they find themselves in a place where they can praise and extol thankfulness back to God. That's where we're going today. Do you remember where we left off last week, though? We were in Exodus chapter 4, where Moses had just had a conversation with God. And they were discussing Moses' big butt. Remember that? His big butts. His big reason why he was the wrong guy, that he thought he was the wrong guy to go fulfill God's plan to set Israel free. And so we're going to pick up that story today, and we're going we're to go through a lot of chapters, so fasten your seatbelts as we cover a lot of territory of Scripture today. We're going to slow it down starting next week, but we're going to go through a lot today. Because we get to this point starting in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. Feel free to open your Bibles if you want to, and you'll find this uh, on page 47 of your pew Bible as well if you want to follow along. Where Moses is on board with the plan. And so he goes down the mountain. He goes to his father-in-law Jethro and says, I'm taking my family to Egypt. And on the way back to Egypt, he meets up with his brother Aaron, who is God's chosen helper and spokesperson for Moses. And now when they arrive in Egypt, this is the first time in 40 years that Moses has been back in Egypt, in this city. And he gathers together all of the Israelite elders and he shares with them all the words that God gave him upon the mountain that we talked about last week. He shares with them the signs that God gave him that they could prove that he had met with God. And the elders believe. They believe so much to the point where they are moved to tears and worship. Why? Because for the first time in centuries, there's this concrete evidence that God knows that God cares and that he hears their cry and he's moving. And so it's a very much a high point in this part of the story. And that momentum carries Moses and Aaron into Pharaoh's courts, a place that Moses has not stood for 40 years. I imagine a lot of it looked very similar, probably like West Meadows. We haven't changed the carpet, the pews, or the paint. <laughs> but it looks familiar, but there's a new Pharaoh. There's a new king. 
who only knows Moses by name, and as famously portrayed by Charlton Heston in that classic Ten Commandments movie, we find ourselves in Exodus 5.1, where this, Moses says to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go. Remember that scene? Classic. Classic Charlton Heston, 1956, right? Let my people go so that they may go hold a festival in the wilderness. Now, Pharaoh doesn't know, and he certainly does not respect this God of Israel, and so he has no intention of giving his workforce a long weekend. This is not going to happen. And he figures to himself, if my slaves, if my workforce has time to dream of gods and festivals, well, they must have time to do more work then. They're just simply lazy. And so he gives the order that they're not to be given any more straw for the making of the bricks to build his city. Then said they can go find their own straw to make the bricks, but they're not going to make any less bricks because my city must be built, he figures. Obviously, the added work is not possible for them to keep up with. And when they're not able to keep up with the quota of bricks because they got to gather the straw and then they got to stamp it into the mud and then they got to shape the bricks and they got to go deliver them and they can't keep up with the quota, the foremen of the Israelites are viciously beaten by the Israelites. So they appeal to Pharaoh. Why are you doing this? Why have you brought such a heavy burden upon us? And they learn that it's because of Moses. Moses, the one who caused all this trouble for us. And at this point, people's hope, which was so high, sinks into fear. The trust that they had established in Moses when he showed up and they worshipped and they thought, God is with us, God is moving, turns to anger towards Moses. Now, he had arrived in Egypt just a short time, rather confident. He had the words of the Lord. He had the signs and the wonders. He was going to get it done. But now that self-doubt starts to creep back in. Now that self-doubt starts to actually spread towards his thoughts about God. Why? Because he was focusing more upon his experiences than the power of the presence of God. And so he says this in Exodus chapter 5, verse 23. He says, God, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And oh, by the way, God, you have done nothing to rescue them. You ever had a moment, a situation, maybe an idea or a plan, but, but you had, had this concept of how something was going to go. And then the day arrives. The moment finally comes. And, and maybe, maybe it's a, a wedding, a, a graduation, a vacation you're looking forward to. Maybe something as simple as a, as a nice dinner out. You had this idea of how it was going to go on this plan. And, and then when the moment actually arrives, it just falls short. You know, I think we all have had that. I think it's safe to say we've all experienced that, not just because it's part of the human condition, but because we find ourselves right now in the midst of Thanksgiving. But it's, it's our second COVID Thanksgiving. Anyone else think back to last year when we had Thanksgiving? And anyone else have a conversation around their table that, that was like, you know what, next, next year will be better. Like next year, we, we won't have to, to worry about this. Next year, this will be over. Now, now, as I mentioned all this, I don't want to lose sight of the fact of how blessed we are as a people. We have so much to be thankful for, even in the season in which we find ourselves. But can we be honest for a second and say amidst the thankfulness of Thanksgiving, there's just this heaviness. There's like this weight in the air. Because we know that there's restrictions about who we can invite and who we can't. 
We know there's limits upon the numbers. We hear the numbers every day about cases and people who have lost their life. There's there's a weight that is in the air even during Thanksgiving because there are people who are missing from around our table. Either because for safety concerns, restrictions, or in some cases they've lost their life during this past year. We have a society that is divided and losing compassion for one another. And last year's, it'll be over by then, has been replaced by this year's, when will it be over? In such times, it is hard to be resilient. In such times, it is hard to stand strong. It is hard to care about others. And yes, if we're honest, it's even hard to trust God sometimes. And to trust that his promises are true and that they will be fulfilled. This is what Moses is wrestling with in this moment when he, when he brings this indictment against God. God, I've spoken in your name. I've done what you told me to do. And have you noticed? It got worse. It didn't get better. He's wrestling with standing in this moment. He's looking for something certain because he's all, all he's found is uncertainty. It's like he's walking in the darkness, walking through the fog, just looking for a light that will pierce the darkness. Some sort of guide that can lead him along the way. Something solid that he can trust in. But thank God for the words of Isaiah the prophet who would say this about God. Is that God is the sure foundation for our times. God is the rich stone of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And as we continue to consider God as the strong, sure foundation, we see also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that that is identified as Jesus Christ. God with us, who is the only one who is worthy upon which to build our lives, the only one who is worthy which to place our hope, the only one who is worthy in which we will find salvation, and the one who is the only one who can possibly say to us the encouraging words of this in John 16, when he said, in this world you will have trouble. It was a promise. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. I am the sure foundation. I am the constant in the midst of the troubles. I am the constant in the highs and in the lows. In this world, you will have both, but take heart because I've overcome both. And when you stand fixed upon me, I am the sure foundation. There are some seasons that are going to be hard and will last a little while. There are some seasons that will be bringing relief and incredible joy. The constant is Jesus Christ. The constant is the power of the presence of God in the midst of all of those. We may not always see or know God's timetable. We may not always understand the reasons for the events, but we can still choose trust. We can still choose to be thankful. Why? Because he is the one who brings to us enduring faithfulness. He is the one who pours out abounding goodness. And he is the one who we can experience ever-present love. Amen? Amen. This is the low point of the story. Where Moses and the nation of Israel have reached this low point. It feels like hope is slipping away. But God now turns. It it turns when God starts to reveal the undeniable power of his presence. As we keep moving now into chapter 6. Up until this point, it might kind of feel like Pharaoh has been controlling the narrative. But God now responds to Moses' indictment against him in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, where he says this. He says, Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country completely. 
And so Moses and Aaron again appear before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh responds to them with this sort of a smugness as he inquires more about their God. And he says, have him, have him do a miracle for me. And so Aaron takes a staff in his hand and does what, what God had commanded Moses upon the mountain. He, he lays the staff down, it turns into a snake. Well, Pharaoh calls in his magicians, and either through sleight of hand or dynamic power of some sort, they put their staffs down, they turn into snakes. But then Aaron's staff swallows up theirs. <laughs> Not sure how you respond to that one. Well, the king didn't. He was unimpressed by this show of power, by this show of superiority. And it says that his heart became hard. And he would not listen to the request to let the people go. Till the next day, Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh one last time. Pharaoh, this is your last warning. This is the last chance you have. But he's unrelenting. He said, no, I will not let them go. And thus begins the plagues of Egypt. That perhaps you read about in Sunday school. Perhaps you've read about in your own Bible reading, or if you're familiar with the 1956 classic, The Ten Commandments, you're familiar with these plagues of Egypt. We're going to go through them quickly, but I encourage you to read them on your own. I encourage you also to consider joining one of our Beyond the Message life groups that will be launching about a week from now. Where during these Beyond the Message life groups that we're launching, you have an opportunity to dig deeper into some of the things that we don't have time to go into greater detail on and to come together into community. And so check out westmeadows.org under connect, under groups, and you will find opportunities to join and connect with others through some of these Beyond the Message life groups where we'll just explore more meaning behind some of the things like this. But for today, if you have your Bibles open, we're in... Uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, we're starting. If your pew Bible is page 49, I'm going to get you to help me out as we go through these pretty quickly. Those of you who have your Bibles open, what is the first plague that comes upon Egypt? It'll say in the heading there, the Nile turns to blood. See that in there? 714. The Nile, the main waterway for the entire nation, turns to blood. In minutes, all of the fish die. The smell starts to go throughout the land. There's nothing to drink. And Pharaoh retreats to his palace where he maybe has some pomegranate juice or wine that he can drink to avoid this problem. But then we get to our second plague. You want to have their Bibles over the second plague? Frogs. Frogs happen. Out of the Nile now come all the frogs. Imagine this for a second. Imagine the ground covered in frogs. Can you, can you just picture the sound of that? Can you picture the shape of the movement of like waves of frogs upon the land? All over the place, over the building, jumping on you. Makes you squirm a little bit. There's nowhere to hide, even in your palace this time, Pharaoh. The frogs are everywhere. Third plague. Gnats, biting insects of some sort. Imagine worst mosquito season ever. Okay? And then like multiply it by 10 kind of thing. It, it just swatting and itchy and driving you crazy. You ever been around a, out in the bush and you are just, just covered in mosquitoes and you just can't think? Multiply that by this plague of biting insects. What's the fourth one? Flies. Swarms just buzzing around. You have to cover your mouth to keep from breathing them in. There's so many of them. And the bites continue. They just get bigger. After the flies, what happens at number five? Livestock. Certain livestock are wiped out and die. This is a huge economic impact to the nation. 
This has an incredible impact upon the food supply for the people and brings fear to them. On top of that, there's this constant reminder of what's going on because they now have to go burn or bury all of the bodies of these animals. And as they do so, it talks about the ashes being lifted up and then we lead to the sixth plague, which is boils. This is fun. Painful, erupting skin infections. Boils that extend to people and animals. And if that wasn't enough, just as we, we finish healing and scratching from the boils, all of a sudden, what is the seventh one? Hail. Hail comes upon them. Imagine the worst prairie storm you've ever been in. Thunder, lightning, giant, like softball-sized hail. And, and then again, exponentially greater than this, to the point where God even gives them a warning. Don't leave anything alive outside. Bring your cats and dogs in. Like, this is going to destroy everything. Destructive fear-bringing hail and thunder and lightning storms. Then we get to the eighth one. Locusts, again with the insects, right? But this time larger, well, not that large, but, you know, larger grasshoppers. And the ground is just crawling as they swarm as clouds across the fields. They destroy and eat everything. And then we find ourselves in the ninth one. The final, the ninth one is darkness. If the insects weren't enough, the lack of water wasn't enough, the death of livestock, the infectious skin disease, now all of a sudden, the lights go out. And we're talking about more than an eclipse, because this lasted for three days, and at the same time, there was a distinction God drew between Israel, which was in the light, and Egypt, that was in utter darkness, for three days. The distinction cannot be lost upon the people of Israel or the people of Egypt when that takes place. So what's the purpose of all these plagues? Sometimes we read this and we think, well, it's about punishment. God is punishing them. And, you know, and, and there could be a degree of that going on, but I think there's a, a deeper, more significant reason that this is taking place. You see, here's what we find in this, in these stories of the plagues. If you read these individually on your own, or if you study them in one of our Beyond the Message life groups, you'll find this, is that each step along the way, Pharaoh is gradually losing control and support of his people. You see, when the first plagues come, the, the water in the Nile, the, the, the sign of the snake and the staff, he calls in his magicians. His magicians come in, and they're able to reproduce these signs at first, but as they continue, they cease to be able to do it. And, and by the way, do you know what you call a magician with no magic? You, you call him Ian. I'll let you think about that one for a second. It's a grown But it's the dad joke for the day. <laughs> the magicians lose their ability to do these signs. The advisors and the people start to have their hearts turned because during many of these things, many of these plagues, there's a distinction between it affecting the people of Egypt and not affecting the people of Israel. And they take notice. It confirms that, that God is sending his plagues against Egypt and protecting his people, Israel, who are identified with God. He's protecting them. And the people of Egypt are going to Pharaoh saying, end it. Just let them go. We can't take this anymore. So there's a sense of losing power and control is slipping from the hands of Pharaoh. But the second thing is this, is that these plagues were a direct challenge to where Pharaoh had placed his trust and where he thought his power lied. You see, these plagues weren't random. They affect all aspects of creation, and Egypt had a god for every aspect of creation. They had Happy, the god of the Nile, 
They had Apis, the god who was a, who was a man with a bull head upon him, was the idol for that, representative of livestock. They had Nepra, who was the god of the crops, Horus, the sky god. They had Ray, the sun god. All of these parts of creation reflected by an idol or a god that they served. And so God, as he brings these plagues against Egypt, it's a form of ridicule and rebuke to the gods of Egypt. Pointing to one undeniable truth for the entire earth about the God of Israel, about Yahweh. That he is sovereign over all creation. That all things are under his control. And as it seems like creation is becoming undone in these plagues, it is happening at the will of God. But here's the third thing. Through all of this, Pharaoh displays a continuous pattern. And the pattern is this. Moses comes with a warning and says, Pharaoh, you, you got to let us go. If you don't let us go, something bad's going to happen. And Pharaoh doesn't. And so then the plague hits. And then Pharaoh calls Moses back and he says, pray for me. And then Moses prays for him and the plague ends. When the plague ends, he finds relief. When he finds relief, his heart hardens. And then we go back and we do it again. There's, there's the warning, Moses, Pharaoh, you better let us go. I'm not going to let you go. Then the plague comes. Then Pharaoh calls Moses in. Moses, pray for me. And Moses prays for him and it ends. It brings relief and his heart hardens. And then we do it again. And we do it again and again and again. And the whole way along, God continues to honor the decision that Pharaoh makes. He continues to honor the decision of his heart. And allows him to experience the consequences of a hard-heartedness towards God. And this isn't just something that God does towards Pharaoh. This is really how God operates with us even today. With people today. We read about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. If you're following along with the sermon notes that are available through the pew portal, this verse will be in there for you. Romans 1, 18 through 19, where it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is made plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. God has made his power plain to Pharaoh, and yet he chooses to harden his heart. And so God honors his choice, and the plagues continue. Well, while Pharaoh is digging in, nine rounds are complete without a knockout punch. But now God announces to Moses, get the people ready, because this ends tonight. And God explains to Moses that he himself, God himself, is going to go throughout the land of Egypt, and he's going to strike down dead the firstborn of all people and all animals. At the end of this, Pharaoh will let you go. Now up until this point, Israel did not have to do anything to draw a distinction between themselves and Egypt. Whenever the plagues came, God, God knew where they lived. He knew who, who they were. They didn't have to put signs on their doors or anything. He knew who they were, and he was able to spare them and protect them. But from this point on, and this is significant, from this point on, not just in this story, but from this point on in history, obedience, obedient faith will become the evidence of their trust in God and his promises. From this point on, obedient faith will become required for the distinction between the people of God and those who are not. And so he gives them detailed instructions on how this is going to work. He tells, them, he tells them what to do and when to do it and who to do it with. And it all begins with the sacrifice of a lamb. God tells Moses to relate to the Israelites that they are to gather together as a family. 
And if they have too small of a family to, to have a whole lamb, to gather with other families. To make sure that you have enough food for everybody, but, but not too much. And when you've all gathered together, at twilight, slaughter that lamb. Take the blood from that and put it across the top of your doors and on your doorposts. And then roast the lamb over a fire. And then when you come together to eat it, you eat it with bitter herbs. Herbs that will remind you of the bitterness of the years that you spent in slavery. You eat it with bread that is made with no yeast because the time of your redemption is coming quickly. And you must leave in haste. And when you eat it, so much haste that when you eat it, you need to eat it with your cloak tucked in and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand because the time is now. And when God's wrath enters the land and he sees the blood on your doorposts, he will pass over that house and no destruction will come to it. And Moses reports all of this to the elders that God had told him and they fully obey it. And they followed all the signs. And that night, the judgment of God fell across the land of Egypt as the Israelites ate their meals together in their homes that were marked with the blood of the lamb. Safe. But they could hear the sound of wailing throughout the entire nation. In the middle of the night, Pharaoh summons Moses. And as Moses walks into his court, he is obviously distraught. And he simply says this, up, leave. Take your flocks, take your herds, and go. But before you go, bless me. Pharaoh says, bless me. His hard heart had been broken. As he hits rock bottom, he had no one to trust in. He had no advisors left. He had no magicians left. His gods had been ridiculed. He had no power control left. And he was left to point only to the one who had power, the power of the presence of God. And starting that day, it's estimated that two to three million people plus herds and flocks received their freedom and they left Egypt. Can you imagine the great shouts of joy, the hope for the future, as they express their thankfulness to God for his work in their lives? And in this event of the history of Israel, it's referred to as the Passover, which was established to be an annual time of commemorating God's saving grace as he delivered them from bondage in Egypt. Now, Passover is directly related and associated with, with Easter. But I think there's lessons in this for us at Thanksgiving as well. Consider even just the setting. The setting of Passover and the setting of Thanksgiving both take place around a table where friends and family come together to partake of a great feast. And the mood and the feeling around this dinner is one of inclusiveness. It's, it's one of sharing and giving and absolutely gratefulness to God. But it's also an opportunity to remind ourselves and to teach our children about gratitude and about our relationship with God. And some of the lessons we can teach them, for example, is this first one, similar to what we read in Psalm 100, is that we are to focus more upon the power of the presence of God than upon our human experiences. Consider this from the story of Passover. While they were still slaves in Egypt... While they were still waiting for that knockout punch to be delivered, God tells them to roast a lamb. Doesn't that seem like an odd thing to do while you're still in slavery and still in bondage? 
Roast a lamb in the midst of that. Why don't we wait till afterwards, God? Why don't we wait until once we're free, then we can throw the party? But Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it is assurance about what we do not see. See, this is a defining moment that ushers in a new era that shapes Israel's history forever. Because they must celebrate the faith by they must celebrate by faith their liberation before it takes place. And by celebrating their liberation before it takes place, by doing so, they're demonstrating their obedience. They're demonstrating that I identify with God and his promises, and I believe that his word is true, and it will come to be true. This is a a classic story, fable, of a small town that was caught in a terrible, terrible drought. And so there was no rain for months on end, and so the pastor calls together a bunch of people to come for a prayer meeting in this field. The whole town shows up. And partway through the prayer service, that one of the parents looks down to her daughter and says, I thought I told you not to bring that with you. You're just going to lose it somewhere. To which the child looked up and said, I thought we were praying for rain as she held up an umbrella. (laughs) If we're praying for rain, why don't we have our umbrellas? This Thanksgiving, let us focus upon the power of God's presence in our lives. And walk by faith, not by sight, as we talked about two weeks ago. But second lesson that we can teach and focus upon during Thanksgiving is that this principle applies even when things are going well. This isn't just a principle for droughts and for hard times. You see, we give Pharaoh a tough time in this story because of his hard heart and that pattern that he follows. But if we're honest, isn't that to some degree just human nature to follow that pattern? We're going to see in two weeks the Israelites, ironically, follow the same pattern Pharaoh did when they get in the wilderness. And it's so common in our human experience that when trouble and fear comes, those of faith turn to prayer. And we pray in the midst of the challenge, but then it ends, and relief comes, and we just resume our lives again. We may not have hard hearts like Pharaoh did, but we tend to have hearts that turn inward. That when things are going good, we we pray less. We often will turn more self-focused and self-reliant. But but 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks to God, not just in the bad situations, but in all circumstances. And we look at a verse like this and sometimes are quick to apply it to the tough times. Yes, even when things aren't going great, we still can praise God. Yes, even when there is struggle and strife and difficulties happening, we we got to find a way to see the good of God in the midst of it all. Absolutely. But I think there's also just as much of an inclination to not apply this during the good times. And we need to pray and be thankful to God during the good times as well and not turn inward. Why? Because as the verse finishes, this is God's will for you as followers of Jesus Christ. So the first one is to focus upon the power of God's presence in all situations. All situations includes the highs and the lows and to resist the temptation to turn inward, especially during the good times. But the third one is this. For the Christian community, Jesus Christ is the ultimate Passover. Jesus Christ is the one who can set all people free, who can bring redemption to all people. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he first stepped onto the scene, John the Baptist pointed to him, and he heralded to the entire world, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the good news. 
that while any of us may be in a world defined by slavery to sin, Jesus Christ is the perfect Lamb of God who gave his life in our place so that we can apply his blood to the doorposts of our lives. And when we choose to do that, when we choose to receive the free gift of salvation that God makes available through Jesus Christ, when we choose to apply his blood, his sacrifice to our sins, to our lives, the wrath of God passes over us. It passes over us. And we can live at peace in his goodness, in his love, in his faithfulness to us now and for all eternity. This is the good news story for the entire world. Something the entire world can be thankful for. Because it has the power to shape our identity, to shape our mission, and to shape our future as followers of Christ. It has the power to allow us to say, I choose thankful in the midst of all seasons. It has the power because of Jesus Christ to allow us to view life, to view others, to view desires in our lives, our attitudes, our hopes, and our joys from a perspective that glorifies God. It has the power to transform and bring new life into our, into our existence. Because of him, through the hard times, through the good times, and in all times, we can give thanks. And so I invite you today, as we close our service in a moment here, I invite you today to choose thankful. Though I wake to a world with more questions than answers, where dissonant voices ignite division, my heart will stand firm in this decision. I choose thankful. Though I walk through a landscape that is uncharted and foreign, where the once familiar seems lost and forgotten, I will remember that nothing is unexpected to my Father in heaven, and I choose thankful. Though I live each day uncertain of tomorrow, I will accept that tomorrow was never certain and cherish every chance to witness the wonder of creation. I choose thankful. I choose faith in what is unseen, hope for a future beyond the adversity, love spoken despite animosity. I choose to believe. The struggles I face may be painful, though it sometimes seems impossible. Though I fall a thousand times covered in the dust of failure, I am able to rise. Not because I am strong, not because life is perfect, but because in all circumstances, Jesus lives. When this world stands perplexed, and demands I give a reason for the hope that I have, I can only say that in Jesus' name, I choose thankful. It's not a simple choice, it's not an easy choice, but it is the only choice that brings calm in the storm. Not by my power, but through the strength of Christ alone, I choose thankful.